Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Welcome to the second class of Hell No and Heaven's Yes. The hymns this morning were out of unbelievably oriented toward the future life. The opening hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, the final stanza, listen to this. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall, we'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all, we'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. And then the final hymn, Forth in thy name, O Lord, I go. In fact, all the hymns had a reference to eternal life this morning. But the final hymn, the last two verses. Give me to bear thine easy yoke. And I read that. I shuddered because his easy yoke at times can actually bring us to our knees. And every moment watch and pray and still to things eternal look and hasten to thy glorious days. For thee delightfully employ whate'er thy bounteous grace has given, and run my course with even joy, and closely walk with thee to heaven. So, just a sample. Uh, the, uh, last week, um, I asked Claire Partlow to do some research on this statement that I had quoted, that the early church fathers don't talk about eternal damnation. Uh, the handout that says, hell no, good question, guys. This is a summary. I asked her to put it in, in uh, how many words did I give her? 200. 200 words. She did 350 of her research. Um, and um, she did, as you see there, uh, her quick perusal of over 250 pages of text discovered only scattered passages referring to such punishment, most frequently destruction, torment, and unquenchable fire. So uh, I thank um, Claire for doing that research. Um, and then um, I want to apologize to Dr. Phil Swanson. Uh, he had sent me a corrected version of the handout and somehow I sent to the copier the original. And so there is stuff that's, uh, there's some typos in there, and also a podcast that you might be able to give a reference to. So. Okay. Uh, and today is mostly... <coughs> so um, all the mistakes I make today, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray together. Um, on your other handout, the opening prayer. Together. God of all grace, we give you thanks because by his death, our Savior Jesus Christ destroyed the power of death, and by his resurrection, he opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Make us certain that because he lives, we shall live also, and that neither death nor life, nor things present nor things to come, will be able to separate us from your love and Christ Jesus our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now and forever. Amen. Phil, it's all yours. Great. Uh, so today we're going to think a little bit about what's called the problem of freedom and foreknowledge. 
And then we're going to go on to think about uh, divine providence, like how God uh, controls the, or governs the world a little bit. So um, let's start just by thinking about uh, this argument. So on the handout, an argument that divine foreknowledge is incompatible with, with human freedom, right? So suppose God uh, knows literally everything about the future, right? So if something happens, then he knew it in the past, right? That, well, that means if I raise my hand right now, then God knew a thousand years ago that I would raise my hand right now, right? Um, so premise one says, God believed a thousand years ago that I would raise my hand right now. So a thousand years back, because I raised my hand, God already knew it a thousand years ago, right? Um, second premise, I'm only free to avoid raising my hand right now if I can do something, something such that either God would have believed differently or God would have been wrong a thousand years ago. So, what would have to be true for me to not have raised my hand? Well, either God would have had to believe something different a thousand years ago or God would have had to have been wrong a thousand years ago, right? Because uh, God believed that I would raise my hand. So either he would have been dif believed differently or he would have had to have been wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Um, no. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Get out the boat early. Okay, yeah. It does not make sense because you're using the concept of believe, which embeds God in time, Good. as your definition of the question. God is outside of time. You will raise your hand using your free will, but he knows because he sees you doing it, because he sees everything all at once. So the whole thing to me, I'm going to try. You're off the boat, yeah. Part. Good. Now, second part from me to you and anybody else in the room that understands this. <laughs> the irrational numbers, the set of irrational numbers. Cardinality of the continuum. First part. Second part. How hard is it to prove that a given irrational number is irrational? That's really hard. It takes years and you've got to be really smart. Smarter than me. How hard is it to do that? We're talking about a mind that can see the irrational numbers like three dots on a sheet of paper. So why are we even looking at it this way? Uh, okay, good. So let me believe, yeah. throw it out. If you say believe, yeah. it's embedding God in time. And that's limiting God. That is not the God I believe in. He is already with me at the wedding feast of the Lamb. I will give you some scripture here. Second Kings 7. Leave the story in there. If there were windows in heaven, could there be enough food? Yeah. What happens to the guy who says that? Good. Okay, so, so let me cut you off there. You will be dead. You will not eat this food. You will sleep. You've hit a couple food. interesting points, and two of a couple things you said are going to connect to some of the solutions we talked about. So one is this idea that God's outside of time. Um, that might be a solution to this problem. Another there's no belief. There's not yeah. belief. There's he knows. There's just seeing or knowing. Yeah, good. Uh, and another point you made is that he believes it because I do it. He's, you know, he believes he's seeing believe, it happen. No, or he, I will sorry, sees. The yeah. word belief. Yeah. Um, the class, but there's no, with him it's not belief like a human yeah. being has it. Belief is a temporal concept that requires us to expect something that will happen in the future. This yeah. is a mind that already sees worlds that don't exist more clearly than we see where we are now. Yeah, good. So, so that might also be a solution, that he's seeing us do it in some sense already. So uh, keep, keep those thoughts in mind as we go. Um, okay, good. So we already got an objection. 
Um, but, but the claim here is um, either you know, God would have had to, we, we could, instead of your belief, we could say sees or thought or um, n- known something different, or he would have had to have been wrong. But wait a minute. I can't do something such that God would have believed, or believed differently a thousand years ago. Why? Because I don't have control over the past. And I can't do something such that God would have been wrong. Why? Because God, um, God's essentially all-knowing, right? I can't make God wrong. That's, a, you know, that's way beyond my powers. And I don't have control over the past, and I don't have control over whether God's all-knowing, so I really couldn't have avoided raising my hand, right? It was sort of set, you know, for me. Given that I can't control God's past beliefs, and I can't control whether God's all-knowing, I can't make God wrong, it was sort of set for me that I would raise my hand. So I don't have free will. That's the conclusion of, of this argument. Do we have any other initial reactions or initial thoughts about this argument? Yeah. I, I, I don't really see how... If God sees and knows we're going to do something, right. I don't see how that it contradicts free will. Okay. You know, I mean, free. You know, He knows what our outcome is. It, just because He knows what the outcome is doesn't mean that we didn't have the free will to do that. Okay. Good. So, so let's. So the argument wants to push back on your thought. Your thought is, what's the incompatibility here? Right. Why can't I be free and God knows the future? Right. And the thought is. Well, think about what kind of power you would have to have to be free, given that God knows the future. Wouldn't you have to either be able to change the past or be able to uh, make God be wrong? And do you really think you can do either of those things? Or, or so, so either you'd have had to make the past different, God would have had to believe differently, or you'd have had to make God be wrong. And then the worry is you can't do either of those. So that's where the threat to freedom is supposed to come in. Does that make, does that make sense at all? John, my mind can't... I, so I kind of agree with John uh-huh. on the, yeah. the, the first premise. You know? He didn't believe it really a thousand years ago. Well, it's not yeah. the, the aspect of belief. God knows. Uh-huh. God is all-knowing. Yeah. So, and, and so if he knows, just because we don't know what we're going to do, yeah. does not mean that God does not know what we've done. Good. You know, he's seen it. He knows what we're going to do. And we have that choice. But he still knows the outcome. There's not an incompatibility. It's us that are incompatible with his power. Good. So, so do it all in terms of knowing that. Could you have, can you do something such that God knew something different a thousand years ago? You think you have control over what he knew a thousand years ago? No, we didn't exist. Yeah, good. So it seems like there's nothing I can do about that. But then since God's all-knowing, it guarantees that I don't raise my hand. Um, And I ultimately agree with you. I'm just trying to make you feel the force of the the problem a little bit. Yeah. Um, Any other initial, initial thoughts? Yeah. This is why engineers aren't philosophers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Okay, so let's go on to possible solutions, some of which you guys have already anticipated. So solution number one, deny that God's beliefs, or deny that God in general is in time. Right, so some, some people have thought, Look, God is not literally in time, right? God is in some sort of atemporal, which just means outside of time state. So it's 
a state that's not on our timeline at all, right? So it's not lit- we we talk about God knowing things ahead of time. We talk about foreknowledge, but it's not literally true that God knew these things ahead of time. He just knew them from outside of time. He knew them atemporally. So the problem doesn't really get going because it's not literally true that God knew them. That God knew it a thousand years ago that I'd raised my hand. He just knew it atemporally. Does that make sense? Um, no? Okay. All right. it, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let you keep going. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so maybe that's a puzzling idea. How could he be not on the timeline? But that's what uh, some people have thought. Yeah. So I heard a really good analogy. Okay. Like, uh, if we go to the Macy's Day Parade and we're down with the group, then all we can see is the parade as they go by. If you are in a 50-story building, then you can see both the beginning and the end of the parade as, right. in, as it goes by. So, you know, God has got a, a, a super view of everything right. and of all time, even though, you know, from a moment in time when we're here on Earth in that position in the parade, we can only see what we see. Yeah, good, and that's a good analogy because you can think of it as the, the sequence of times is like the various is it float various floats in the parade or something. But God isn't in anywhere in that sequence. He's like above looking down. So you can think of the times as like the floats in the parade. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could be watching it on TV and record it fast forward. Right. Stop. See anything you want. Good, yeah. So yeah, look back, look ahead. Right, exactly. Um some some people said, well, this doesn't really help because there's still this problem of could I do something such that God could I have control over what God believed in the atemporal, out, from outside of time? Could I really affect what he believed outside of time? But you might think, yeah, you could. That's not so weird, right? It's weird to say I could change the past. It's not so weird to say I can affect what God believes from outside of time. So maybe once we take the past out of it, it does help. It's not so weird to say, yeah, if I hadn't raised my hand, I could have not raised my hand, and then God would have just believed something different in the a temporal state. So maybe that does help, yeah. Okay, so this morning in my uh, private devotions, I ended um, as I always do with the Lord's Prayer. And this is what I, I knew this was coming up today. So when I prayed the petition, uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I thought about how does that apply to what we're talking about? Uh, so on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Thy will be done. Yeah. On earth as it yeah. is in heaven. Is that atemporal? Is heaven atemporal, or is that what you're asking? That's or? my question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say no. I, so I, I think God is in time, and heaven will be in time as well. But okay. um, I think an atemporalist would probably still say that heaven will be temporal for us, and God will just be real. So people who think God's outside of time think God's relating to us. Mm-hmm from this non-temporal place, right? And I think they'll just think that'll continue in heaven, and we'll just have a more intimate relationship with God, even though he's still atemporal and we're still So what temporal. am I praying for yeah. when I pray that petition? What am I asking yeah. for? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, God's will to be done. Like here, I guess. Or, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So will is not the same thing as outcome. It is not the same thing as power. You want your will to be aligned with His, and then He will give you 
the outcome, but your will, you want your will to be formed like his. God's will is that we all be saved, that we probably are not going to get that. He's not going to get that, but his will is that we all be saved. I want to know, if you believe God is in time, then you believe a God who's controlled by time, who doesn't create it. I guess I believe God created time and has entered into time. Uh, but he's still outside it also. Uh, I wouldn't put it that way. Uh, but then if you believe yeah. he's not, then he has a, a limitation. He's smaller and weaker than the God I believe in, yeah. who's in and out, probably of multiple time streams, and stuff we don't need to know. Yeah. Go back to the irrational numbers. We're talking about our mind here. It's not. There's no belief. There's knowing. Yeah, I guess I don't see why being in time would make you weaker, because I think God could, like, time travel at will, do all kinds of cool things. He can be in time, but he's also outside of time, so there's no beliefs here. This belief stuff is making a toy problem, and you can get all balled up in the predicates and the trains and trying to prove things, but the context of defining the problem has automatically set it up so that you will lose. And the way to don't go in there, God, is... Outside of time, he already knows because he sees it, but you will use your free will. Good, so let's keep talking about that, because that's the solution on the table is, look, God's outside of time, um, so it's not literally true that a thousand years ago he believed this, so no problem, right? And I do have control over what God believes outside of time. I could just not raise my hand, and he would have believed that I wouldn't raise my hand. So, um, so there's no threat to free will. That's, that's the, uh, the idea here. Um, here's a worry for this sort of view. So, even if you think God's outside of time, you probably think he can use his knowledge to interact with time, right? And interact with the past. So, suppose God, you know, tells a prophet a thousand years ago, hey, guess what? In a thousand years, Philip is going to raise his hand while teaching the Sunday school class. Um, now that's in time, right? That prop- so, and then the prophet prophesies that. Now, that will be in time, right? Um, so then we can still run the same problem. We can say, well, could I have made the prophecy wrong? Uh, could I have made a, the prophecy that God gave that prophet wrong? Uh, or could I have made it so that God didn't give the prophet that prophecy? And both of those look like I'd still have to be going back and, and doing something incompatible with the past. So if you think that God can use his knowledge in the past, you can still get this problem going, even if you think God is, is outside of time. Um, if God can tell a prophet what he believes in time, if God, or, or what he knows, or if God can say, hey, guess what? I know a temp from outside of time that God can raise his hand. Or, so, <laughs> of course, God can. Yeah. Uh, is God happy? Um, that Philip will raise his hand in a thousand years. Well, now the same question comes up. Can I, if, you know... Can I make that prophet be wrong? Well, God told them, so it's hard to think I can make that, that prophet be wrong. Um, are people, does, this, does this make sense, this prophecy worry? Yeah. It does make sense. I, I think the issue is that if it was a true prophecy, no matter what, right. you're going to raise your hand. Right, yes. And then you, don't know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, don't, you might know like how you're going to get around doing it. Right. Like I could decide which do way it. to do it, maybe. I could you're do it slowly or, yeah, or, or really high. You know. But it's going to happen. Yeah, the worry is, the past is such that it's going to happen. 
And I don't have control over the past, so I don't really have but, control But it's, over not, it's yeah. not that it's not your free will to do it. God okay. knows that it is going to happen by your free will. Oh, interesting. He knows what you're going to do because he's omniscient. Right. So. so when you say it's on my free will, do you think that means I could have not done it? Yeah. I have the power to not you, do it? You do. Yeah. You have the power not to do it. Okay. His knowledge is so great that he yeah. knows you're going to end up doing it, yeah. even though you intention not to do it. Okay. That's more sense. So, so, what do you think would happen if I did it? If I, if I didn't do it, would God have been wrong? Would the prophecy have the been prophecy wrong? The prophecy would have been wrong. Oh. But not God, but the prophet. And under the terms of uh-huh. the... Old Testament law, the prophet would be put to death. Because but but didn't God tell him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, that just went up a night. <laughs> but didn't God tell the prophet <laughs> what to say? Well, if, if, it, if the prophecy came true, yes. If the prophecy didn't okay. come true, no. Okay, so I can... So if I, I decide not to raise my hand, I can affect whether God told the prophet that a thousand years ago. That seems pretty wild. No, no, no. Okay, no. You don't have the external proof that God told this prophet something, right? Unless the prophecy is fulfilled. That's what makes, for example, all of the prophecies pointing to where Jesus' life, ministry, death, and so forth. That's what makes them so profound. Is yeah. that they were all literally fulfilled? Yeah. In time, in space, in history, they yeah. were fulfilled. So su- suppose I did raise my hand. Right, and it was a true prophecy that was told to the prophet by God. Well, then the claim is, I, I mean, if the claim is I still could have done something different. Well, it seems like then I could have made that prophet be wrong. Seems. So I could have made it so God didn't tell the prophet. That seems... Seems. Seems like That's it's giving me superpowers or something. It seems. Yeah. That's not very strong. Yeah. So, yeah. It's always like amazing me these these Bible stories where especially like Joseph, where he like he gets like his brothers do terrible things, like they make bad choices, they sell him into slavery, they go ahead and they, you know, like bad things you're not supposed to do, like don't sell your brother to slavery, right. that's bad. But still, God makes everything turn out good. Because at the end he says, Joseph says, um, you know, you intended this for bad. But God intended it for good. And it's like somehow those yeah. those brothers are still held accountable for their bad actions. Right. But in the end, God's will is still done somehow. That's amazing good. in my opinion. Yes, yeah, somehow it looks like we have a lot of biblical evidence that somehow these things must fit together. I mean, right. Right. So we've got to how. we've got to figure out a way. Right. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah. So we're coming to the scriptural definition of prophecy, that's what Nigel was getting at. It's, it's very annoying in your personal relationship with God. Well, how do I know you're telling me this? Well, when you do it, then you'll know that I told you to do it. <laughs> That's what he says. If this prophet says something and it comes to pass, then you will know that he was my prophet and it right. was a prophecy. But if it doesn't come to pass, then, then he was my prophet. Yeah. It's yeah. not very helpful to us, but that's how you know it. It's not a, a belief thing in... in you gotta be careful yeah. when you go and look at these problems that you get you back go back down to time and you pull God down with you into time mentally and you're creating a problem that's it's coming because you're trying to 
restrict them somehow. But yeah. it's, it's very annoying that if the biblical definition is, how do you know that's a prophecy? Because what the prophet said happened. Yeah. And it's when you worship me on this mountain, it's like, we got 40 years of the wilderness to go through here, and that's the only assurance you're given is when you worship me at this mountain, you'll know that it was a prophet telling you. Yeah, so I'm fine with that. Because my question isn't how do we know if it's a prophecy. My question is when it was a real prophecy, do I still have free will? Yeah, I guess, because, you know, that's my question. Will, you know, yeah. It's a parade. You couldn't see all of it because you're up high, but you're also on one of the floors mm-hmm. because you're God. You can be in more than one place at the same time. <laughs> Whoa. Um, okay, good. So let's, let's move on to a, uh, another... This connects to another suggestion you made earlier, which... This, this might provide us another solution to the problem. So, uh, this one's called the dependence solution. And I'll just flag, this one's my, my favorite. So, I'll, you'll know my bias going in. Um, so, this solution says, look, the whole problem got going because we kept saying, look, I don't have any power over the past. I don't have any power over what the prophet believed a thousand years ago or what God saw a thousand years ago. And that's what created the problem in the first place. Um... But this solution says, well, yeah, usually you don't have power over the past, but maybe sometimes when someone like God is in the picture, you do have power over the past. Um, Because God is a pretty special being, and when God's in the picture, things change, right? Um, So, according to this view, if there is a being like God, then we sometimes have power over the past. And why? This is because God's beliefs depend on or explain, are explained by our future choices. So, you used the model of seeing before, right? God's sort of looking down and seeing what's happening, right? So, if, God, if God's seeing what's happening, then his beliefs can actually be explained by what we do, right? Or his seeings can be explained by what we do. So, because I can see this table, the table explains my current beliefs, right? I, why do I believe there's a table here? Because I see it. Because I'm, in interacti- I'm interacting with the table, right? Lights bouncing off the table and hitting my eyes. So, the table actually explains why I believe that there's a table. Um, so, similarly, because God can see the, fu- you know, I would say, so because God can see the future. Or you could say, because God from the timeless realm can see this time, um, my choices explain God's beliefs, right? So why did God believe a thousand years ago that I would raise my hand? Because I raised my hand. So I can actually explain why the past is the way it is by deciding to raise my hand. Um, And once you think that, then you might think, look, I really could have avoided raising my hand, and then God would have believed something different, right? So I actually have control over the past because I could have not raised my hand, and then God would have believed something different a thousand years ago. So this is kind of a wacky idea. It's kind of giving us big powers. Right? We have power over the past, but it's all explained by this fact that God can see the future. Right? Because God can see the future, I can explain uh, what happens in the past. If I do something different, something different would have happened in the past. Uh, any initial thoughts on this? Does the idea... You get the basic idea. But God's looking at what you're doing. God's there a thousand years ago or outside of time looking at what you're doing. And if you did something different, he would have believed something different. 
So you do have power over what God believed a thousand years ago, or what God told the prophet a thousand years ago. If he hadn't seen you do that, he would have told the prophet something something different. What do you think? Is this crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think probably it's just the, the saying what God, like having control over what God believed, as uh, opposed to God being omniscient. Right. What God knows to be okay, true. Okay, knows. Good. Right. Like, so he knows, and he can look at time, he can turn time and all creation, he can turn it and look at it from any angle and see everything and know it all. So it's not what he believed. <laughs> It's not that you're changing what he believes. It's that he what has he given us a sphere of free will in which we operate, and he can see the way we will operate within that. Good, good. That means, yeah, you can put it all in terms of what he knows, right? Um, he left he left me free will over whether I raise my hand or not, and uh, if I hadn't raised my hand, he would have known something different. Instead of no, he he knows that I raised my hand. Or he knew ahead of time that I would raise my hand. But if I hadn't, he would have known something else instead. So I have control over what he knew near a thousand years ago. I'm still getting some, uh, this is crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what free will is. The problem with me is saying God has divine power, we have human power. Yeah. So for us as humans to even sit here and try to discuss what God thinks, what he must do, and all that is the height of. Uh, Arrogance. Arrogance. <laughs> so it's your thought, like, we just aren't going to be able to fi- figure this out? It's, we can't. Uh-huh. I mean, humans can't understand, figure out God. Why yeah. does he do what he does? Because he's God and we're not. Yeah. Elizabeth. <laughs> to which they'll say, we should at least try. I hear that. She's heard this. <laughs> <laughs> we should try to figure it out. Shouldn't we try to figure Before it out? Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, I'm simplistic. Why can't I think of God as the loving Father who knows his children will do either A or B, right. and he maybe will correct or find some way later to put me back on the right path? So he says, I know, I know he'll either raise his hand or not, but he, you think he doesn't know which one I'll do? Not ahead of time. Not, okay, oh good. Okay, you're getting to the next solution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are, are on the ball today. You're hitting all the ideas ahead of time. Yeah, good. Um, let me say one more thing about this one before we go on to that thought though. So, an analogy I like is the analogy of time travel. So, it seems weird to say we could affect the past, right? But suppose uh, you had a working time machine sitting in front of you, uh, or you thought you did, right? Um, Well, then you would believe that you could affect the past and that you might have free will over what the past was like. If you turn on the machine, one thing will happen in the past. If you don't, a different thing will happen in the past, and that's up to you. So if you thought time travel was possible, you would think you could have, you had free will over the past, right? And my thought is, believing in God is kind of like believing in time travel. Because there's this being that can see the future, um, you have a way of affecting the past. Just like if there was a time machine, you'd have a way of affecting the past. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to forgive me because my biblical knowledge is lacking, but didn't God send a prophet to a, a group to say, hey, you need to repent or, and um, so, you know, the outcome of that, uh, that they, in, in a case that they repented, but then you've got like Sodom and Gomorrah in, you know, a case where there was no repentance. Yeah. So, um, how do you reconcile 
I think both of the, you know, in those cases, if it's like repent or, well, then he's not saying what is going to happen. He's saying here's some possible possible options, maybe. So I think that's fine. Yeah. But in the all-knowing God. Yeah. He knew the outcome ahead of time. Yeah. Good. So so in that kind of case, I think we could say, well, he knew what they were going to do, but he wanted to give them an option. But there's harder cases, like Jonah's a hard case, because there doesn't he say, yeah. you will be destroyed, and then they repent. And then, yeah, yeah, so there's some harder harder passages, too. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Just a side note on that, I, I think he's revealing his divine forbearance. Mm-hmm. And he, in order to reveal that nature about him, that he loves and is willing to forgive, he has to give an opportunity. But the other thing is, on free will, just to be clear, we, we don't have free will in in, a, in entirety. I mean, there's like right. a sphere of free will we have to raise our hand or not, but then there is an area where we are not free to choose. There's lots of things we can't do, right? Yeah. Um, and But the question is, is there any realm where we can do anything different? Okay, um, all right. And, and we want to, a lot, I think a lot of people will say, yes, at least I could have not raised my hand or something like that. Yeah, good. Um, okay, so I'll leave my crazy solution behind. Um, um, okay, so the third one you kind of brought up, this, this is called open theism. So this is the most theologically radical solution. So... Um, the open theist denies that God knows what we will freely do ahead of time. They say, look, God knows. Yeah, he knows he'll either raise your hand or not. And he'll have a plan for to correct you if you get it wrong. But he doesn't know ahead of time which one you're going to do. Right? Um, so, um, So many open theists will say, there's no fact about what I will do tomorrow. Right? If I'm really free, there isn't any fact about what I will do tomorrow. So even though God is all-knowing in the sense that God knows every fact, um, he doesn't know what I'll do tomorrow because there is no fact yet about what I'll do uh, tomorrow. So they, held, they, tried to hold, they tried to say, yes, we say God is all-knowing, but God doesn't know what Philip will do tomorrow because there just isn't anything to know. There's nothing to know yet about what I'll do uh, tomorrow. Um, a worry here is prophecy again, right? Look, um, it looks like God sometimes tells prophets uh, what people are going to do, right, in the future. So, right, um, Acts 21, uh, a prophet uh, says, look, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind Paul, right? It looks like God, you know, God told that prophet what the Jews of Jerusalem were going to do ahead of time. Right? So that looks like a case where you have free people and God's still telling them, knowing ahead of time what, what they're going to do. So does that show that open theism is, is wrong? Yeah, Marie. So to, for this solution, would you have to believe God is in time? Probably. Um, it'd be hard to make sense of this view if God isn't in time, I think. Maybe there's some really wacky way you could do it, but it's not, I'm not thinking of a way you could fit those together right now. Um, usually there's some crazy way you could fit them together, things together, but I don't know. Um, okay, so, so, what, so what do we think? Is, it, is prophecy a big problem for the, for the open theist? Yeah. I love the example you have here with Hezekiah, because I think it tells us the one truth we should all take away from this class. 
whatever is happening in time, out of time, of whatever I believe, whatever you believe, prayer is where you interact with God's out of timeness, knowing the future, etc., etc., and you can change what's going to happen by asking Him. So we should never use the words, we have the power to anything we don't. But prayer is a place where the outcome will change because you did it. And I'm not saying sometimes prayer changes you, but the main point is pray because it changes. Now, it doesn't always start to be what we ask for. Right. It's not, it's not a magic bullet, you know, but sometimes things are different because you pray. They're so, always different yeah. because you yeah. pray. They're just going to be different according to My example is, yeah. help St. Anne, I will become a monk. And Jesus <laughs> says, Martin, stop praying to Anne. It embarrasses her and it doesn't work. <laughs> I will let you become a monk. Because you asked to become a monk, I will let you be a monk. And after you've gotten out of your system, you'll see you don't really want to be a monk. <laughs> and here's what I'm really going to do. Okay? But the prayers change that relationship. And that's the one thing we ought to take away from that is it is important not to miss the times when we should pray. Yeah, good. So I think that's that's a nice model. Um, you could kind of fit that with with uh, my suggestion of how you know you know when God sees that you're going, you'll pray, that can affect His plan, and so that might be a way that you affect uh, affect past things. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's an important point. Um, okay, so. Any, any other initial thoughts on open theism? Or on this prophecy worry? So, so here's two moves they can make. So one thing they can say is, well look, if God's, if God's telling a prophet, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind you, will bind Paul, well he's, he's, then he's committing to that. So if necessary, he'll override free will to make sure it happens, right? So, so, one, so one way to make sense of how God could ensure things on open theism is God to say some things are more important than free will. So if I'm going to prophesy, if I want someone to prophesy that this particular thing is going to happen, well then I'll just, if necessary, override free will to make it happen. Yeah. So, um, if we can replace a theistic, which, which we're doing here, with a Trinitarian, um, because what I when I talk about prayer, uh, especially in uh, Romans chapter eight, um, we have first of all we have the Holy Spirit praying for us in word in groans that words cannot express, and we don't know what to pray for. And then five verses later, we have Jesus interceding for us. So. Uh, if we if we replace a theistic approach with a trinitarian approach, how does that change this? Yeah. So so can you say more about how you're thinking it might? Or well, yeah, yeah. because um, my um, when when we get to the to the pit, yeah, and we don't know what to pray for, uh, and we don't know which way to go. Um, you know, we if we have this idea that God is there with a preordained outcome, um, that really handcuffs me in terms of my faith. But if I believe that the Holy Spirit 
is on my side, and then also I also have the Jesus interceding for me. You know, does yeah. does that affect my future? Does that make it different? Does that you know? Yeah. Does the Holy Spirit and Jesus together get to Philip? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Yeah. Does it affect it, or is it more mundane and more in terms of of being uh, old? You know, am I going to have rapid ageism? You know, at age seventy six, I'm going to be in my last days, or am I going to have another ten years? You know, and so yeah. So, so in in does that change I, the I think, argument? I think, yeah, I think. I think you can make this point about prayer, you know, in the context of the Holy Spirit interceding for you. That could change things, right. just like you're praying, you know. So I don't. I think um, you could say the same things okay. as best I can tell. Yeah. My trouble with that, though, is that it fractures the Trinity. Mm. It puts God the Father against you, so to speak, and then your eighth in the hole, your free ticket, is the Spirit or the Son, and I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Now we're getting into the Trinity. Isn't foreknowledge hard enough? <laughs> yeah. No, but that's yeah. That's no, these are good questions. Yeah, these are for, good questions. For a Christian, so, yeah. for a Christian, it it, be, it goes. It forces me to go beyond right. a theistic argument. Right. That, that's, yeah. That's, no, that's, that's good. And we would have to think about how that's, all these that's things right. would work. That's right. In their interrelationship of the three persons. That's, that's right. Although you get this fracturing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah. planning to lose sleep on it. Okay. <laughs> what do you do with somebody like Judas Iscariot? Because there was going to be someone that was going to betray Jesus. And I mean, I mean, what do you, it just seems like you know. Yeah. He said it would be better for him if he was never born. It almost seems like he has no choice. And I hate to He's say set that. Up. Yeah. It almost sounds like it feels yeah. like that, and I, I don't. I mean, I, yeah. just the way it seems to me. Something. Yeah, good. Read it. Um, is that in time? I mean, is that... Well, I think whether in or out of time, you have this worry of, did God have this plan that he was going to make happen no matter what, even if it meant, look, Judas, no matter what, you're going to do this horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wondered that myself, and someone had given me a good answer, which I can pass along maybe it satisfies you, but um, Judas's real sin, although obviously betraying our Savior was a serious sin, even that didn't put him beyond redemption. No, I agree. So, ultimately, you know, and Peter did betray Jesus also, just as severely, but when you look at the difference between those two, Simon Peter turned and was forgiven. Wasn't there a prophecy but Judas said, did not. Judas. Wasn't there a prophecy that said Jesus was going to be betrayed? By one of his own. Right, but that was not what condemned him to hell. What condemned him to hell is that he didn't turn to Christ and say, forgive me for betraying you. Because Peter did. Peter said, forgive me for betraying you. And Jesus said, I live to forgive you and make intercession for you. That's what I'm here for. This is a nice nice distinction. It could be that there's one thing Jesus is going to be betrayed that God's going to make sure happens no matter what. But then he leaves open what happens after that. Maybe there'll be repentance after that. And that's not settled by... But doesn't it bother you that one sentence where Jesus says it would be better for him if he had never been born? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes. This also a problem for universalism because univer for universalists it sounds like everyone would be glad they were born eventually. Um, so yeah, universalists will try to say that's hyperbole or something, trying to bring home the seriousness of the sin. But if you take it just straightforwardly, it sounds like overall he's going to be in a bad place no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Um, is there, is there biblical evidence for open theism? So there are these passages where it seems like God says something, and then it doesn't happen, right? So let's read this Second Kings passage real quick. So, in those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Um... Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion, and I have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your power and see, sorry, prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. So, open theists will say, look, obviously God didn't know that he was going to heal uh, Hezekiah ahead of time, because he said, you will not recover. Or he told the prophet to say that. Um, so there are things about the future that even God doesn't know for sure. What do you think? Is that, is that the right reading of this passage? Yeah. People that, that think like you do and I do have a problem with human communication where not every statement is a predicate or a fact or an assertion. Mm -hmm. And that was this year, my view, the parade view, that mm -hmm. God is on one of the floats, any float whatsoever, also watching. All right. He knows, but he knows Hezekiah and he needs to speak strongly to him. Mm -hmm. Because Hezekiah is getting really because he Hezekiah quote, got rid of the Assyrian army. Again, but he started thinking like that, right? Mm -hmm. I, I did all these things, and I am the king, mm -hmm. and now he's in trouble. He gets a very harsh warning. So it is not a statement of fact. It's not an assertion. It is a communication, mm -hmm. a strong like an alarm going off. So it's more of a warning than a literal. Claim about poetry. the future. It's yeah. poetry. Okay, uh -huh. people like you and me, uh, Jim Dover, we try to take the universe <laughs> and put it inside of our heads. Right. Right? It doesn't work too good. A poet just wants to stick his head up into the clouds. And it's that kind of poetry language, not the engineer, mm -hmm. the, the scientist, the philosopher that wants to take reality and make it fit inside his head. And God loves us both, and we're different in that way. But this year, I think, is more of a poetic. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm severely warning you. I want to frighten you so that you will pray. Good, good. Yeah, so, so there's that. Like, okay, well, maybe it's not a literal statement. In fact, it's a warning or an encouragement or something, but it's not literally predicting the future. It's not that God didn't really know he was going to be well, still going to die yeah. eventually. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure. You will not recover. Yeah, the other way you said, yeah. you won't recover in the long run. Fifteen years later, you're still getting Yeah, yeah, good. Um, 
Depends what recover means, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, does that seem plausible that we can give an interpretation of this that fits with God knowing? Do people buy that? We, we can get so. yeah. yeah. So it might it might not be so so definitive. Okay, so how much time do we have left? Fifteen minutes. Okay. Oh, that's not very much. Okay. So we're done with foreknowledge now. Turning to the question of providence, right? Although we've kind of gotten into it some. So now let's let's think about the question: How much control does God have over the world, or uh, control? How does God have over how things go? On open theism, you might think God's control is limited in kind of this scary way. If God wants free creatures, then God has to take risks, right? Since God doesn't know what I'm going to do if he lets me have a free choice, he's sort of gambling, like, well, hopefully Philip will do the thing I prefer. He might do the thing I don't want. Now, of course, God could have a great backup plan, right? So God could have a great, he could say, well, what if Philip does the bad thing? Okay, here's my great backup plan to fix it. So maybe it's not too much risk. But there is some amount of risk in, uh, that God's taking, right, uh, on open theism. They can, now, one thing they can say is, well, God also can know the percentages. So he can know that I'm 90% likely to do a certain thing. So he can make pretty good bets. Um, but still, wouldn't you want more than that? You wouldn't, wouldn't you want a sure thing? Um, yeah, yeah, right. So let's look at... That's not a gambler. Right, yeah. Well, yeah hope, God doesn't play dice is the phrase people sometimes uh, criticize the open theists. Right? So can we get more? Can we get more than that? Right. Um, Okay, so one, one view that gets more uh, is called the simple foreknowledge view. So, um, on the simple foreknowledge view, God is able to sort of peek ahead, or peek into time, right? Um, and then he can use that information he gets from peeking ahead to make decisions, right? So suppose I'm planning to board a plane, and God perceives the plane I'm about to board is going to crash. Well, God, you know, God peeked ahead, so, oh, there's that plane crashing, I don't want Philip to get on that plane, so then he could tell me, Philip, don't get on the plane. Right? He could use that information to make sure that I don't get on the plane. Right? So that gives him a sort of control he might not have on open theism, where he has to sort of wait and see what happens. Right? Um, another example that philosophers like for this view is, uh, imagine God's playing the devil in paper, rock, scissors. And the devil's a free creature. Well, on open theism, God could lose, right? Um, but on simple foreknowledge, God could always win, because he could peek ahead and see, oh, the devil's throwing rock? Well, then I'll throw paper, right? So he's never going to lose, because he can just peek ahead and see what the devil does, and make sure he throws the winning, the winning hit. Does that make sense? You see why that gets him an advantage over the open theist, God? Um... Okay, so, so that, you might think, well, that, that at least gets us something more. Um, so here's a view that gets you even more than that. So this view is called Molinism. It's named for the 16th century priest uh, Molina. So on this view, God doesn't just know what you will do. It's not just that he can peek ahead and see what you will do. He also knows, prior to deciding who to create, what you would do 
in every situation he could place you in. And what everybody else would do in every situation he could place them in. Right? So, before he decided what world to create, or whether to even make you, uh, he knew what you would do in every possible situation that you could be placed in. Right? So, he knows things like, if Curly were offered a bribe in a certain circumstance, or sorry, if Curly were offered a chance to steal $1,000 in a certain circumstance, he would do it, or he wouldn't do it, right? So God knows all the facts like that. You know, if Philip were offered a chance to raise his hand right now, he wouldn't take it. He knows, he knows all, all these things like this. Um, does that make sense? Do you understand what he, what he knows on that? So, um, God can then decide whether to put Curly in that circumstance, knowing what the result will be if he does so. So that allows God to form a comprehensive picture of how things will go um, if he started the world in a particular way. Right? So I suppose he thinks, if I create these ten people and these, ten, and these starting points, well then he knows exactly what will happen, because he knows exactly what they would do in each of those situations. And he can predict the whole future uh, that way. Um, does that make sense? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's, because it's like, he knew to put Job in that situation. Right. Yeah. He knew to put Job in right. that situation because he knew Job. Cause he Job could handle, handle it. Right. He's yeah. like, yeah, he could be playing dice with the devil right, right. then and say, okay, am I going to win or am I going to lose? No. He knows what Job right. is going to do. Right. And he knows he's not going to deny And he might have known there was a different circumstance where Job wouldn't have you know, stood up, and he didn't put him in that one. Right? Yeah, it's a, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's just you're, you're limiting making God weaker than he really is when you get into these kind of things where God needs to foreknow mm. or predict or understand what's going to happen. That's why I like to come back to the Macy's parade. He already knows. I'll throw out to you in this class. Suppose he makes two or three or seventy-seven jokes, one for each choice. Maybe that's what he's doing. We don't need to know about any universe except the one we're in. It's not the cruciate universe, but he may have created Judas who didn't, Judas who did. Um, you get on the plane, you don't get on the plane. That's another yeah. universe, a different story. You don't need to know it. You'll never see them. So you're, this is a multiverse idea. Well, yeah, they're not all good, they're all bad. Uh, Why does he do it? Because he can't save you if you're not real. So, every time he says, let there be light, there is crucifixion for his son. Because it's the only solution. But he loves both the guy who gets on the plane and the guy who doesn't get on the plane. And then a lot of these problems go away. But back, if you want to change the one you're in, pray. He needs you to pray to him for whatever... I don't understand that part. He's limiting himself that way. In some circumstances, if you pray to him, he will... Whatever it is, change the outcomes according to your prayer. It won't necessarily come out what you're praying about because we're sinful and we see what's right in front of us. But prayer is so important. So this class is important. Whatever you believe, it's prayer where you interact with this problem is. Yeah, yeah. I know you're there. I know you made me. I'm asking you this. Good, okay. Yeah, I like that you brought that multiverse idea back in, but let's keep going because we have five minutes. Or Marie, you have a quick point? Yeah, well, I just don't understand how Molinism is different than determinism. Oh, good. Okay, so this is a big... A lot of people have said, wait a minute, Molinism sounds awesome if it works, but do you really have free will 
if Molinism is true. If it's really set before I was even created, what I would do in all these different circumstances, well, that sounds like something that's really outside my control. Um, and it might be no different than God just determining what I would do. In that, you know, these things are just totally beyond my control and they guarantee what I will do. So that's a worry. And the Molinist will say, God isn't making you do it. He's just seeing what you would do and then putting you in the situation. He's not making you do it. Um, but, you, you know, I don't know if that helps you or, or not. Well, couldn't you make the same argument for determinism, that he's just putting you in that situation because he was yeah. determined to happen that way? Um, yeah, there, though, he's sort of causing... Well, let's talk about determinism, right? So, okay, so here's a view that gets him even more control than Molinism. So we keep amping up the amount of control God has. So theological determinism. God determines every event that will happen. He causes every event, even our choices, in a way that guarantees the outcome. So here, God doesn't even have to look at what you would do. He can just make you do. He just causes you to do the thing that he most wants you to do, right? Um, And that way, he just guarantees exactly what he wants to happen by just directly making it happen. And so Marie's worry is, well, Molinism isn't really any better than that with regard to, to free will. Um, okay, but, so, uh, any thoughts on theological determinism? Um, just, yeah. why, would you put the gar- why would you put the tree in the Garden of Eden? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean, the only reason he put it in there is so people would choose. Right. I mean, you either choose to love somebody or you don't. Right. You know, it makes your wedding anniversary more special knowing that your wife chose you. And didn't right. have, you'd have your, her mother right. holding a gun to your head saying, you will marry her. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or if you could, like, yeah, an example I use in my classes, like, if you could, like, if in the future there was, like, this cloning company and you could order the perfect genetically engineered uh, spouse who was uh, genetically determined to love you in particular. That just wouldn't be the same, right? Because it wouldn't be a free, a free choice in the matter, right? Um, yeah, so one worry is um, that this undermines free will. Um, it, it also makes trouble for why, why we have evil at all, why we have evil choices if God's the one... Determining what you'll choose. Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's the, you know, the yeah. Holocaust, uh, suicides, um, those are the, that yeah. really flies in the face. Yeah. Right. Why would why would God have somebody born who's going to be a murderer? Yeah, good, good. Or, so, even bigger, why would God have somebody born who's going to go to hell? So some people have said if you're a theological determinist, you have to be a universalist because why on earth, if it was totally up to God, why wouldn't he... Determine everyone to repent, you know. Um, okay. Uh, so here's here's a passage that I think this is the last page of the handout puts tr- pressure on theological determinism. So it's Matthew twenty three thirty seven. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. How often I have gathered have um, gathered. I, the another verse says, "Long to gather your children together." as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Right? So, the, what, the idea you get from this passage is, um, you know, Jesus wants to bring all these people to him, and some other will is standing in the way. Not God's will, not Jesus' will, but man's will. Um, and you might think that's hard to make sense of if 
God just determines or decides what, what everyone is, yeah. is doing. Um, so I think there's biblical... Of course, there are biblical passages also that do sound like God's determining everything, but there's also biblical passages that put pressure on that. Um, okay. Really briefly, so there's, um, there's a related issue that uh, comes up for salvation in particular, right? Um, does God determine who repents and comes to faith? Or, um, you know, is that also a place where free, where we, where free will is left in the picture, right? Um, so uh, you guys are probably familiar with that debate. That's kind of the debate between Calvinists and Arminians, but it... Um, it connects with this debate. Okay. Um, any last thoughts on any of any of that stuff? Okay. Uh, what are we doing next week? Uh, well, we're going um, next week's class is going to be heavily biblical as we try to read this the biblical uh, evidence for the end times and the controversy that has ensued about that through the centuries. Um, an important thing will be introduction to apocalyptic literature. We heard about the poetic, um, over against the engineer's standpoint. Uh, apocalyptic literature is certainly uh, in the figurative, poetic, uh, and it's important that we as Lutherans, who um, do not believe in a millennium, uh, except in a symbolic way for us to understand the nature of apocalyptic literature. Otherwise, we are subject to. Otherwise, we are subject to um, a Seventh Day Adventist thinking. Um, those who uh, advocate the rapture. So it, it will be different. There are some things that I think uh, this class raises that I hope that we can deal with in the very last class because I think very important issues were raised today in terms of theistic approach, and I want to explore further how that interacts with the Trinitarian view. Mm -hmm. So I um, want to thank our proctors, um, Jim and Nigel and Elizabeth. From this, was there another from this class? or were there, you were there three, I think we just did three from this class, and we had three from the later class also. So we're looking forward to your notes. Oh, you were uh, Who was the, the third one in this class? Anyone you remember who was third? Was it Kevin? What? Yes, it was Kevin, Kevin Carlin, Carlin is not here. Yes, That's right, Kevin is, is one of them. So hopefully he'll be at the end. Let's close with prayer. Dear God, uh, our future <laughs> is in your hands, um, and we humbly <laughs> submit ourselves to that. Uh, whether we live or die, uh, whether we are failures or we are successful, all of that is in your hands. And we pray that in, the, in spite of all of it, that we know that you love us, that you know us by name, and that you hold our hand, and that finally our focus, our focus, our focus is Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.